Welcome to the Am I Hunting Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Andrew Milliron, owner of Ironway Outdoors, and we like a dive into his approach at land management. I'm assuming that you've been pretty busy this summer. <laughs> Extremely, yeah. yeah. I was just reading, uh, yep. I was just catching up on some stuff on your website, and it looked like you yeah. do pretty much all of it with your uh, consultant business, huh? Yeah, I try to try to offer uh, as many services as I can. Um, I'm certainly not not the world's expert, but uh, been doing it a little while and know a few things. So yeah, it, it helps out. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, and actually, I, I do want to start out that you. I'm sure you you really don't ever remember me, but I actually met you at least a couple years back okay. now back at one of the outdoor shows i think it was one of the first ones when they held it um over in gaylord instead of in traverse city oh, uh, I think, okay okay i, I got gotcha. you i think sure. you're doing one of the uh it was the qdma booth at the time yes yeah okay yep and uh you would okay, actually yeah, yeah. you okay. would actually got me first yeah. signed up with qdma and you would give me one of your oh, business cards and i actually had kept that uh up on oh, nice. up by one of my bar areas <laughs> and i was just like you know what I was looking at the, uh, you know, the NDA yeah. page when I was looking at the branches. Like that's right. Like Andrew, I know that name somewhere. Like why do I know that <laughs> name? And I ran downstairs and sure enough, grabbed your car. I'm like, that's the same guy. Yeah. I gotta talk to him again. Uh, so. Oh, that's a neat story. No kidding. Okay. That's yeah. Great. Some perspective yeah. of, um, you know, someone yeah. that's been oh, you know, knows a little bit more and you know has a lot more experience of maybe give me some guidance and whatnot and i think probably there's a lot of people sure. are in my boat that could use some guidance as well so i thought why oh, not sure, talk to someone sure. that knows what they're talking about <laughs> no i gotcha yeah i mean uh, my philosophies are pretty simple i mean so um so obviously with uh the hunting apps and everything nowadays and aerial photos you know obviously um you know you can definitely do a lot of homework certainly before you get to a property but um for the most part so if i get a call uh say from a new client and uh, you know we rendezvous out his property i get out there and you know chat with them a little bit about kind of what what they're looking for out of out of the property and you know depending on the size and what the property has on it you know I'm, you know my, the wheels are turning right away about you know kind of my ideas for him and the property but basically um, you know, like I said, I try to keep it simple and work with what the property um, has to offer naturally, you know, as far as, you know, food plots and such going in, you know, you know, most of the properties, thankfully, that I've had a, you know opportunity to work with have been pretty, um, you know, they, most of them are pretty diverse, thankfully, you know, they're not all just, you know, 40 acres of hardwoods or 80 acres of hardwoods and, you know, no openings or anything like that. So, um, so thankfully, a lot of my job has been a little easier with with uh, some of the properties I've been able to work with over the years, but but yeah, I just tried to tell guys. I said, you know, don't try to recreate the wheel. You know, start small, keep it simple, and just kind of work with, enhance. You know, the areas and the I guess different components of the property that the deer are already using, and you know, build on it from there. You know, like a lot of times when I'm doing a let's say I'm doing a couple of small food plots for a client, and they're spaced out over the property. You know, I said, well, let's start small. Let's start with, you know, a cover crop maybe in the spring, 
and let's see how the deer respond to it. You know, if the deer just absolutely annihilate it, you know, you probably have a few more deer than you think. And then I said, then that way, when we do that fall planning, I said, we'll have an idea of, uh, you know, we don't, we're not, we're not going to put in, uh, you know, $10 a pound seed. We can put in something a little bit more economical that the deer will still enjoy and get, you know, benefits from, but, uh, will be more cost effective. You know, I just, Lots of little things along the way that, you know, you kind of learn and figure out. And But, yeah, basically what I do is get on a property, and honestly what's on the property is probably just as important as what's around it. You know, if you've got, you know, tons of bedding, a stone throw off your property, you know, uh, you know why waste the time, basically, I think, to uh, take the time to put a whole bunch of bedding necessarily on your side when you can, you know, maybe your side is more open and you can, create more food or maybe you have good transition cover and you can do you know different i you know different things to help funnel the deer or do some hinge cutting and you know different uh different types of management strategies to help you know create different opportunities for yourself to get the deer to come through your property or whatever the case may be so it's just basically kind of looking at it um like i said just starting small keeping it simple uh start with, you know, but you know definitely start with a plan don't just kind of Oh, I'm going to do hinge cutting here. I'm going to do this there. You know, um, you know, definitely think long term what's what's going to be sustainable too for the property. Because you know, if a hinge cut doesn't work and you do a lot of it, you know, you have a lot of cleanup to do long term too. So, um, so yeah, I've seen different things over the years that guys have tried, and 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 sometimes you know, and a lot of it certainly, especially for the guy who's got I don't know whatever a 10, 20 acre piece and he's managing himself, it's a lot of trial and error. You know, and there's definitely a ton of information out there but you know definitely baby steps for sure um depending on what exactly the property has and and uh, and certainly budgets and everything come into play as well definitely so yeah i would just say start small start with a plan you know write it down document stuff uh soil samples are a must <laughs> for the food plots and yeah so just there's uh, certainly a lot too but there's just a few little things in there that definitely wanted to get out there to to kind of lay out for people to, to kind of think about. So, yeah. Yeah, so, because, you know, what would one one um, area that, you know, when someone calls you and, you know, they kind of have you yeah. know, a, a, their own little plan in their head, and then when you come out sure. to meet with them, where do you think, you know, usually the difference in opinion usually falls? Um, is it would be more um, like on the food know, side or timber side? Yeah, usually it's... Um, you know, guys, guys, a lot of times guys just don't realize, you know, I think at times how good their property already is. You know, they think they have to do so much to improve their property. Um, I met with some new clients this spring, actually, um, over in the Kalkaska area. And um, I believe their, yeah, their property is an 80-acre piece, and it's it's been in their family a long time. And, you know, we're, we're walking along, and... Uh, you know, they basically, we, what I did was I added some food plots to the mix and uh, for them, they've never had food plots on their property, but their property's near agriculture, uh, air, you know, it's in an agricultural area. So I said, you know, we don't have to go crazy big with these. I said, let's start. And uh, and their soils are not that great, certainly. Um, that's probably two things that are underestimated. You know, the fact that guys' properties are actually, you know, certainly can hold and and, and have it in their 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 uh, the property itself is pretty good deer habitat, 
And then the other thing is, is what they think they can grow on their ground opposed to what they can actually grow. Um, you know, a lot of guys, I mean, the, this particular 80-acre piece, I mean, it looked, <clears throat> when you looked at the soil in the one plot area, I mean, it looked like, I live about five miles from the Lake Michigan Beach here in Leonard County. <laughs> it looked like Lake Michigan Beach sand, so literally. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I knew we were going to have to start, you know, from the, from the get-go of just, you know, cover crops, lime, um, and, you know, just start from the bottom barrel. So that's definitely two areas. Like, so then as wa- as we were walking around the property, the one plot area, they really wanted me to go, you know, maximize the open space. And I said, hey, I said, check this out. On the south side, right along the tree line, there's a bunch of raspberry plants that are growing up. And I said, you guys take a look at all these raspberry plants. I said, they all have, you know, they're all... I can guarantee it pretty much every single one of them has some, some browse, uh, you know, sign from deer. I said, this is just a natural forage form. I said, let's leave these. Let's make the plot a little smaller. And like, like I said, let's gauge to see how well the deer, re, you know, respond to the, to the cover crop. We, we planted buckwheat came in really good. Thankfully it was, the timing was good just with all the rains that we've been having up here. And, um, yeah. And you know, they're seeing lots of deer sign and other plots, but just, that's definitely two areas I, I can definitely pinpoint for sure that people are, I think, underestimate just how much food naturally is on their property and um, and kind of, they kind of over overestimate how good their soils how, or how good they think their soils are, certainly. So, yeah. So Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't take, uh, but doing one soil sample to realize that your ground has a lot of work oh, yeah. that needs to be done. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and I tell guys, it's, it's a cheap investment, you know, at least, at least even if you don't do it every, I mean, even if you did one every five years, you know, it gives you, you know, certainly that first year gives you a baseline, um, and, you know, where you're at with your nutrients, the pH, certainly organic matter, you know, all, you know, all the way through, but, and then certainly like, that's just, that's just another thing that's, it's easy for you to kind of reference long term and, like I said, it gives you a baseline of where you started and how far you progressed. So, yeah, so definitely. And I guess with sticking with the food pot, you know, stuff and then soil yeah. quality and whatnot, you know, do you do you recommend doing, like, people doing, like, no-till type planting? Or I, you've already mentioned that you do cover crops and whatnot. You know, yeah, much... I'm, I mean, I, yeah, I'm a big advocate of cover crops. Um, you know, I've, I've just had, um, you know, great success with them over the years, especially, I mean, I grew up, uh, within two miles of like the biggest gravel pits in Leonard County. And so, you know, I started doing food pots with just a 17 inch hand tiller, <laughs> basically in, in, uh, the backside of my parents' property when I was a kid. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, I'm not a big herbicide guy. Um, uh, I've never actually even sprayed a field with glyphosate. Um, I like to come in in the spring work up plots with like a you know field cultivator or tiller a little bit and then um you know get a cover crop going and then work you know basically buckwheat's definitely my go-to and put that in as thick as thick as i can either drill it in or broadcast it in um one way or the other and then um uh, and then certainly let it go for basically buckwheat will mature in eight to ten weeks it'll flower it'll go to seed and then uh, brush hog it down depending on the deer browse pressure and then I'll and then I'll get ready for that fall you know late summer early fall planting and um, 
you know, depending on the soil type, like the property I referenced earlier, I mean, it's primarily just going to be, we're just going to go with oats for the fall. Um, you know, it's not a big draw of the soil. It's a uh, buck forage oats specifically. That's one of my favorite. If uh, the soils aren't great, it's one of my favorite fall plantings. And that's not going to go until the end of August, um, first part of September, depending on the weather and, and the growing season. So, you know, a lot of guys will, will come to me too and be like, oh my gosh, it's July. Is there still time to get stuff in? I said, yeah, there's lots of time. You know, we've got, you know, your, your cereal grains, your rye, um, your wheat, your, your oats. They're not going to, you don't want to put those in until, you know, I'll give or take, but right around the 1st of September, uh, depending on where you're at in the state. You know, it'll be a little bit before or right around that date. So, but yeah, just, um, you know, just I love the, the cover crop aspect because I don't have to deal with herbicides and things as much. And then certainly with the buckwheat or whatever cover crop you're using, if you're working it back into the soil, um, certainly, you know, organic matter long term. I mean, like I said earlier about where I grew up, I've been doing buckwheat behind my uh, my mom's house for over 10 years, every basically around June, you know, June 1st every year. And then a couple of years ago, I was able to get like softball size, you know, purple top turnips, which was a, a big deal for me because I knew, um, you know, how long it took to build the soil up and, and to get those. And, and um, you know, and it's, you know, certainly something, you know, you know, once you can get the soil too to that level, you know, just try not to burn it out every year, you know, replenish it. You don't have to, you know, certainly with turnips and things too, you want to rotate those, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to plant corn the year after I had really good success with the turnips or something like that. It's just those are big draws from your soil and your nutrients. And uh, I just think the cover crops can certainly help replenish those, um, you know, whatever you planted the fall before. And uh, so I definitely highly big, big advocate for the cover crops, specifically buckwheat if you've got sandy soils. So, yeah. So. Yeah. And then for... Um, there's a couple of things. So with your buckwheat, when you do your fall yeah. planting, do you, do you till that back under then? Um, do yeah, you plant exactly. Your yeah, what's okay. nice is, yeah, what's nice is it'll act as like, a, they call it like a nurse crop. So if you let it go to seed and like brush hog it down and, and till it in, and then like I said, either broadcast or drill in the next seed, what's great is that buckwheat will actually pop up first. So, um, it'll just out compete, you know, weeds and everything else that you have planted basically but you know the fact that it went to seed it's not going to be super super thick and um depending on how well you how, the rate that you planted it in the springtime but for the most part it's certainly not what you know it's not the same as as what you planted in the spring to certain you know not all the seeds certainly is going to germinate and take gotcha. um but yeah what's nice is the buckwheat will actually pop up first for that fall crop and the deer will nibble on it and everything like that which is great because once you get a, a good frost, it'll kill the buckwheat anyway. So it's kind of like this free seed. So the buckwheat will grow up first and act as what I call it, what they call a nurse crop. So it'll give the stuff underneath the, you know, your brassicas or turnips or, um, you know, other, you know, whatever, you know, Austrian winter peas, uh, is another, uh, fall plot I really like. But, um, um, so yeah, so it'll give that stuff time. It'll give that stuff time to grow. And, um, he said that if the deer nibble on it and smile that stuff down, great because the frost will kill it probably within a you know month, month and a half, whatever the case may be. Anyway, and then um, you know the deer will still certainly enjoy it, and then it'll give the 
your other seats a little some time hopefully to a little bit more time than usual maybe to uh to grow up through the ranks and uh, to get a little bit more um forage on it get a little thicker get a little bigger so to speak so yeah so i think uh it works out really well so okay and then if if you have someone that you know their soils are pretty good you know they worked on it for a few years now and they've you know done their soil samples and build that soil up you know yeah. how, you know what type of blends or you know seed varieties would you typically recommend for sure. a client yeah uh, one of my favorites honestly is a uh, a combination and what I'll probably do um depending on you know cuz obviously with with uh, turnips and and different things or brassicas you you know you definitely want to give them a little time you know, you know, if you can, a good couple months to really get some growth on them before the hunting season starts. So, um, yeah. So let's say you know you you gotta feel the buckwheat in, and um, and then the early part of August you work the buckwheat in, um, and you're you know looking for you know take advantage of you know let's say you're a bow hunter and you want to take advantage of that that first week of bow season. Um, with some with some good uh, offerings for the deer and your soils up to par, you've done your soil sample lime and everything's good. You got some decent organic matter in there. Um, I love um, I love a three part a little three part combo um, of uh, Austrian winter peas, the Bonar forage uh, rape seed, and uh, the Buck forage oats. But then sometimes you know sometimes depending on how many deer you have. The, the, the oats will actually, you know, it's, it's a little early, certainly, for oats, like I said, because you usually want to plant them at the end of August, first part of um, July or September, excuse me. But um, so sometimes what I'll do is I'll I'll work up a plot and kind of in the middle or the heart of it, I'll plant I'll plant just the, the peas, the Austrian winter peas and the, the, the rapeseed in the middle, you know, nice and thick, just basically a 50-50 combo. And then what I'll do is on the outside of the plot i'll uh i'll wait you know a week to two weeks or three weeks and then i'll plant i'll leave the buckwheat that's there existing and just to kind of help keep the weeds and everything at bay and just give the deer something to nibble on while the other stuff's growing and then i'll work that the outside area up and then i'll plant oats there and then you know and that's a lot of times i'll do that with plots too is you know if there's a high deer uh density population you know plant something on the outside edge that you don't mind the deer just kind of just really hammer early and then they'll give you know give stuff in the middle of the plot or closer to your stand more time to grow and then you know hopefully too and certainly the mindset is you know maybe the deer will you know that buck or that doe whatever the case may be uh, it'll draw them out to that you know better the better seed the better stuff you have growing a little closer to your stand or out in the middle of that plot to give you a better idea or a better look at them while it's still daylight. And instead of having that stuff right on the edge of the wood line, you know, you have kind of the rye or the, the oats on the edge, and they, you know, like I said, that's certainly not going to be as uh, as big of a draw as, you know, the, the brassicas or the or the, the Austrian winter peas uh, as the fall progresses. So, and the Austrian winter peas are, you know, they're real, you know, uh, they're, uh, frost hardy so they'll last in the season as are the, the buck forage oats and then the you know the rapeseed um certainly the starches in it as it gets colder gets sweeter so so definitely um definitely a really good october and it, you know if it can last into november is great just certainly with our 
seems like with the the mild winters, our deer population are are doing pretty good. But um, but yeah, if you've got enough you know enough fields to plant or a lot of area to plant, you can certainly get away with you know planting a little bit more or just having enough crops in the field to kind of keep the deer happy you know later into the fall, hopefully. So. And I guess one more question I have for the for the blends and whatnot. You know, there's yeah. You know, when a lot of like content I listen to and whatnot, there's you know basically it seems like kind of two different camps where. You know, people are talking yep. more about, you know, keeping like your barrascas in one section and like your cereal grains yep. and whatnot in another. You don't really want to combine the two because they'll compete uh, for nutrients and whatnot. Okay. And then there's sure. another group that, you know, really talks about, you know, having real diverse blends of seed to put down, you know, basically just a, like a, I think they basically call it a diversity blends or, you know, whatnot, where it's, you know, 10, 12 different type of seed varieties, you know, in the same yeah. mix or in the same plot. You know, have you, oh, sure. you know, dealt with that or know if there's really, you know, one side or yeah. the other's more right than the other? No, I got you. No, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of whatever works for you. Um, I know I get most of my seed, or basically all my seed, locally right out of Traverse City from uh, McGoff's yep. on Lake Street. And, um, you know, they certainly have some good, uh, they, they have, uh, have some great seed blends that they've kind of made up over the years and they their food plot section has really, um, really gotten good the last few years. I mean, they they they're offering the the diversity of what they're offering is just is really really good from all kinds of different kinds of clovers, cereal grains, and and brassicas and brassica mixes, and you know certainly the corn, soybeans, and all the way through. But um, yeah, you know they they um, you know I think if your soil um, it really de- and I guess it really depends. You know I think. I think what it is is they have some certainly some wildlife blends out there. Uh, McGoss has one that I know of two, and certainly a lot of companies offer them where they kind of have, yeah, like oats and rye and and soybeans and just kind of it's kind of a a little bit of everything mix. And I think I think what I've found over the years is the people that plant those is are uh, you know their 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 soils up and coming, and they're not you know maybe they just uh, you know basically plant it more or less for kind of to build some soil and uh, just basically to kind of view wildlife where usually what I found is the people that are a little bit more hardcore hunters or they're you know hardcore land managers and they're really into the hunting scene and harvesting deer those are the ones you'll probably find that definitely will have those separate you know they'll have their their bigger fields or kind of low impact fields of uh, cereal grains and then they have their you know, little quarter, third of an acre plots of, you know, brassicas and things where they'll have a bow stand or a gun stand over. So in my experience, that's what I've kind of found over the years is, uh, you know, usually the people that are kind of just throwing everything in the, everything in the mix or have them, you know, making their own mix or they're just buying a mix that has a little bit of everything is usually not quite as serious or as hardcore. And there's nothing wrong with that. Pete's their own, you know. Um, you know, some guys are live it and breathe it. And, uh, you know, some guys just like to go out and, you know, see some deer and they harvest one great and, hey, it's, you know, it takes all types, you know, so it's, it's good. So it's good for the sport, you know, and, um, so yeah, it's, so that's what I found that the, usually the difference is, it, you know, as I stated, kind of, you know, usually some people that aren't as serious or not as hardcore and then the ones that are definitely are like, you know, they've, they've been reading or watching videos or whatever the case may be or talking with professionals in the field and they definitely 
are kind of dialed in on separating them out. So, yeah. So. All right. I have to laugh a little bit because, you know, with you saying yeah. that, I've actually, this is my, I actually this year tried one of those larger blends where I put, yeah. um, you know, my brass well, they're, toast, they're clover, great and blends. I mean, together. Can, yeah. So sure. I, I just really wanted to yeah. test you know, test it out on my own field to see if I saw much oh, of a difference sure. and whatnot. But it's this point that you sure, sure. that you said that you know usually those hardcore guys are the ones that separate more. I'm like, well, I think I'm a hardcore guy. <laughs> no, I mean that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I've done it myself, honestly. Sometimes because for my clientele, I, I don't plan anything or or do a mix unless I kind of experimented on it either with my own on areas that I've you know planted for myself or hunted over. And, um, like I did an experimental plot last fall, you know, I get a lot of guys talking to me about rye, you know, oh, rye, 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 rye. And, you know, you got to put rye in. And I said, you know, I, I said, I like rye. I said, I really love the fact that it comes back in the spring, but I said, I like buckboard oats more. I've been planting buckboard oats for years and it's like, it seems to be true to its name. I, I don't know why, but bucks just tend to show up to eat this stuff. And it's, it's, it's it's funny and people laugh at me until I start showing them trail camera photos. I'm like, holy crap. And I'm like, yeah, like never planted a buck for goats in the spot before. And like all of a sudden I look at the pictures, you know, type of a thing. But I did an experimental plot last fall where I did half of it in rye and half of it in buck for goats. Just split it. It was about a, uh, about a half acre plot field. So it's basically a quarter acre of each. And I said, I'm just going to try it. And I got it in really late, truthfully. I mean, but thankfully we had some rains and some decent growing weather through the fall last year. So I didn't get it in, honestly, till a week before October. And I started kind of t- taking a peek at it as, as October progressed. And I took a picture of it in o- October 12th. And, I mean, the rye was just, you know, six to eight inches tall. Um, Emerald City just looked green as can be. The oats, you could definitely tell, were getting hit. I hunted that plot on October 16th. I had a southwest wind. I had a stand on the north side of the plot. And I ended up harvesting a doe off that plot that night. But it just it didn't make any sense. This plot runs east and west, and the rye is on the west end. And there's a, a ridge of hardwood that comes down, and there's oaks right off the plot edge to the west where the rye is. And you would think that the deer would come off the ridge and come into the rye and nibble and then make their way to the oats but all the deer um that i the deer that night the two does that came in they came in from the east and they came right in the oats and they basically the one didn't leave the oats because i ended up getting a shot opportunity on her and she ran off but um yeah i mean by october 16th it looked like dirt the book for oats basically looked like dirt and the rye still looked fantastic so i've been showing that to you know some of my clientele and the guys that i've been talking with and saying you know like I said, I try little different things over the years, and I try little experimental plots and things like that. And, and I can tell you right now that the buck forage oats are hands down, you know, would certainly outcompete uh, uh, as far as drawing deer and rye in the fall, at least here in the northern Michigan area that I've been where I've been at. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, you know. But like I said, there's nothing wrong with with uh, you know that the, these these plots and mixes that have a whole bunch of stuff in them. You know, like I said, it's nice because basically you can plant it and just kind of, a lot of guys will plant it in the spring and they'll just let it go through the fall. And certainly, like I said, with, with the clovers and soybeans and things, you know, it's it's productive through, you know, through the summer and the fall season. And it's nice because you don't, you know, it's, a, it's basically kind of, if as long as, like I said, the deer allow it and there's not a ton of them, if, if the pressure's not bad, they'll, 
you know, you'll certainly have something to hunt over come, you know, come season, depending on, you know, what, what art, what type of equipment you're taking up to hunt. But, uh, you know, like I said, they're, they can be real productive and, uh, but yeah, don't, don't read too much into it. I just, it was basically kind of, you know, I didn't mean to stereotype people who plant them, but <laughs> it was, like I said, a lot of people that I found over the years were kind of newer to the food plot scene that kind of used them. And, and I've used them before too. And, uh, like I said, they can be very productive, but, uh, um, like I said, I, I've just noticed typically the, uh, like I said, and it's, it, there's always exceptions certainly, but the, the hardcore guys that are really, you know, crazy about the management scene are typically tend to separate the brassicas from the cereal brains, certainly. So, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'll admit too that, you know, the, a lot of the people that are, you know, that I've heard that talk about those diversity blends or those, you know, more significant yeah. uh, blends, you know, they are a lot of times talking more about um, improving soil health and, you know, oh, sure. soil quality. Exactly. So yep. you're, you're on par with, yeah. you know, that's usually, you know, those type of people that yeah. are wanting to build that soil up um, or put more effort oh, yeah, to build definitely. that soil up. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more for sure. Definitely. It's uh like I said, they could, there's some really good blends out there and there's so many companies. I mean, the food plot industry is just, whew, man, it's, yeah, it's, it's full tilt. So it's, it's a big business. That's for, <laughs> for sure. sure. Everyone loves doing it for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and then so, you know, I found with my you know property that you know I started getting the food pots, you know, figured out they're you yep. know becoming more and more successful. You know, last year I yep. actually had a uh, you know a time where I had the most deer in my food pots that I've ever seen, um, you know, at nice. one time. Yeah. But yep, that's great. And then I ran into the situation yeah. where uh, they were basically yep. just eating them, eating themselves out of house and home. You know, eating it almost down to sure. the dirt. Um, so I yep. started, you know, trying to figure out what I would have to do to, you know, ensure that those food plots lasted throughout the year. Now, certainly you could look sure. at, you know, do you need to harvest more does and, you know, take some more deer off the property? Yep. Do you need to plant more food plots and, you know, use up more acreage? Sure. And then sure. the next thing I really looked at was, you know, looking at kind of looking towards the woods, you know, trying yep. to figure out how to increase, you know, the browse um, available and whatnot. So hopefully, oh, you know, yep. use that as um, you know supplement or you know take up yep. some more of their you know feedings and whatnot, to where they're not you know spending the entire time in the food plot for every feeding. Um, oh, definitely. Oh, absolutely. Sure, sure. So, yeah, that, um, yeah. Is that one area that you think that um, you know when someone's you know still relatively new to land management or you know doing land management for you know white-tailed deer and whatnot? Is that something that you see gets missed a lot of times where they put so much time and effort into the food plots that, you know, they're not looking at the rest of their property? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something, like I said, especially with guys that just, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of guys think food plots are the silver bullet and, you know, they're, they're, they are a tool in, um, you know, a land manager's arsenal, but they're not, certainly not the cure-all. And yeah, as far as, well, it's a great question because, you know, a lot of guys, yeah, let's say they, you know, like you said, they start, you know, with the food plots and all of a sudden the deer are just hammering them, hammering them, and they, you know, expand areas or they, you know, expand as much as they can and then they're still kind of scratching their head. But, you know, um, um, I know um, years ago um, I used to do a booth at the Hunting and Fishing Expo at Traverse City. That's now certainly uh, the Gaylord show now, but, you know, I used to, you know, promote, you know, my business, you know, trying to show people 
you know, showcase, you know, deer and, and food plots and things, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's an easy way to kind of, it, it's a good conversation starter, you know, someone will walk by and see a deer in a food plot and so on and so forth. But, and I, and I, and I'd be straight up with people and I said, Hey, I said, don't, don't get me wrong, you know, getting, you know, nice deer to your food plot in daylight, certainly the goal. But I said, you know, if there was, let's say a, a nice buck or whatever, I had a picture of in a food plot. I said, you know, the whole time that deer was making its way to this food plot, it was browsing on whatever it could the whole way, I guarantee it. And, um, you know, especially the early part of the fall, you know, certainly as the fall progresses, the bucks certainly, their, their, their mindset certainly change, but, um, but they're still eating. You know, I get pictures of, of bucks, certainly, you know, even in, you know, pre-rut, you know, November, early November that, you know, I'll get three or four pictures of them, their heads are down and they're not just sniffing you know, the plot, they're, they're eating. So, or they'll have some, you know, green and, you know, come out the side of their mouth, whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, what I would say is, you know, there's so many, um, different tools that, you know, land managers can use, you know, you can come in, um, you know, if you have, you know, a hardwood section or pines or whatever the case may be, you know, you can bring in, you know, a forester and a logger and, you know, you know, a lot of guys certainly are scared of, you know, depending on their, you know, what they grew up with or, you know, what they were, you know, learned as a, as a child or, you know, their, their background. But a lot of people are scared of clear cuts. Clear, clear cuts are fantastic for, for deer. They provide food, they provide cover, you know, bedding, the whole nine. But, you know, a timber stand improvement, it can go a long way. It can certainly add a lot of browse and, and, you know, productivity to a property from a food standpoint, from a forage standpoint. Um, it can certainly put money in your pocket, help help the wildlife and the habitat, and um, you know certainly. So there's there's definitely so many different things that that people can do. Um, um, like I said, even some hinge cutting a few trees here and there. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar that much with edge feathering around yeah, food yep. plots. Yep. Um, yeah, Kip Adams is. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that are big advocates of it. Kip Adams comes to mind. Yep. Uh, I, I toured a property with Kip a few years back. And he was talking with the landowners a lot about just kind of thickening up the edges and creating, you know, a better transition from, you know, just standing timber to, you know, wide open food plot. But it's twofold, too, because it, you know, you start, you know, dropping some trees parallel to the edges of your food plot as far as from a hinge cutting standpoint. And then it'll also create some browse for them to kind of nibble on, still stay back in the cover. And, um, you know, as they work their way into the plot. So, there's um yeah there's just a ton of things that um you know people can do i know some guys uh, i've got a client um north of that lives north of me um and he's gonna he's trying to open up a spot where he's got um, a, a stand overlooking it's kind of on the edge of a swamp and he can't really you know he's there it's so thick he can't really drop the trees without creating like basically having the trees get kind of hung up so what he's going to do is he's going to um a herbicide to go um and spray in the tree and just kill it standing so more sunlight can go in because he's trying to do like a little throw and grow type of a plot near a stand just to kind of help stop the deer as they work work their way through so yeah there's you know there's you know like i said anywhere from logging to um you know killing trees potentially that are standing which um you know it just depends on the scenario i probably wouldn't be a big advocate for it but you know bringing in a logger and and maybe harvesting some trees or, you know, clear cutting. If you have a lot of property, you know, could clear cut even like a 
five to ten acre chunk if you had you know enough or the size of property that warranted it or if you had a pine stand or whatever and uh, and or like i said the edge feathering is also another good one um but yeah i mean even even just um, hinge cutting a few trees around maybe your stand to help create a better travel corridor for the deer to you know come by you know not get too close to you but um and then there's also uh i know i went to a um, qdma um national convention down in georgia they had one at athens georgia at their headquarters a couple of years back and they were talking about using um um controlled uh, like like a controlled burn around stand sites and it was something like i think like 13 times more likely for deer to come within you know that stand site after a a, a burn in late summer because of all the new you know fresh sprouts and, and greens and and different types of uh, plants that sprang up after a controlled burn. Obviously, that one's a lot probably tougher for people to pull off. I'd love to do it myself too, but I just don't think I have the confidence to do it. Um, but there's there's definitely a ton of different management strategies that you can do to help improve. You know, if your if your plots just aren't quite cutting it, or and certainly definitely knocking down the does. I'm I'm a big advocate of uh, of uh, certainly keeping the the doe population in check and uh you know sometimes i have to plead with some of my clients because i said man i said i kiss your plots aren't you know they're, they come to me and say well what the heck's going on the plots aren't growing i said how many does have you shot in the last five years well one maybe two i said well there you go so <laughs> so sometimes it's a combination of things but yeah it's hard when the deer um you know and certainly they seem to be able to communicate and talk to each other when they find a a good food source the word gets out certainly really quickly so yeah so yeah it's really interesting because past well late winter and early spring was um the first time i really you know did any like timber management where i took out a bunch of you know dead and okay. you know dying trees and whatnot and i actually did about oh, a half sure. acre opening um where i took a bunch oh, of nice. dead and dying ash yeah. and then cut out just yeah. you know the big popples that were up there you know i cleared up most okay. of them but sure. i left a couple of them in there and yeah, it is amazing how well everything it's has grown up in there. The growth. And, <laughs> sure. you know, sure enough, there's already, you know, this would have been an area that deer wouldn't have bedded in just because it was just sure. it looked more like open timber. And now, yep. you know, the two times I've gone in there, one time I bumped the deer right out of it. And the last time I yep. walked through it, you know, stumbled upon three or four beds that were never okay. utilized yep. before. So I'm really oh, pleased definitely. about yeah. those results, um, even with that small oh, that's area. Awesome. So, that yep. was one lesson I oh. learned for this year is that, you know, that, yeah. you know, looking towards those woods to improve your, you know, property, um, it doesn't take much to, to really improve a small area. Oh, no. And, you know, it's hard, you know, you look at, you know, forest properties that have just, you know, like I call them like a rainforest, you know, they have a tall canopy, <clears throat> just no undergrowth whatsoever. They look like a park property. I mean, it's just it's just a breeze through for deer you know you're thinking up like you did with a half acre you know area like that i mean that's huge that's creating a ton of food good cover escape cover even for deer from predators whether it's us or you know natural you know coyotes whatever the case may be so you know area for fawns to hang out in i mean it's it it just it just benefits a ton of different varieties of wildlife too which is huge which you know certainly you know anything we do for the whitetails certainly going to help um more than just that species certainly so no that's that's terrific so yeah i mean sweat, a little sweat equity can go a long way on yep. a piece of property for sure so yeah so yeah. absolutely so 
And then certainly too, you know, with your, you know, with the consultations that you do, you know, I'm sure you don't just focus on, you know, just like whitetail hunting. What other, um, like types of clients would you say that you take care of? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've done work. I mean, certainly whitetails are, are the, the mainstay, um, of, you know, clientele that I get, but you know, guys, certainly, uh, turkey hunters, a lot of bird hunters too. There's a, there is a property up, um, in the UP west of, kind of southwest of Marquette. Um, there's a, it's a big hunt club. I did a, I did a management plan for them. They have 2,200 acres up there and they have a forest management plan that's been in place for a long time. I mean, this hunt club, I think, started in the late 1930s. Um, really cool old lodge and, um, just just a really cool uh, property in general but um it uh, there's a creek that runs through the property and um and 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 so they've got obviously a natural water source and a couple actually small little lakes on the property as well but you know their their main event has always been basically they've been managing for rough grouse basically for many many years so they have different stands of of aspens you know they have you know foresters that come in and you know, 40 or 80 acre chunks that they'll come in and, you know, clear cut and harvest and the aspens will regenerate. And, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, there's, it, there's so much out there and, and some people I've done, you know, um, you know, some management work for, and they literally just love to see wildlife on their property. I mean, they don't hunt, um, you know, they just want to enjoy and view more wildlife and, and give them some benefits that they might not have had certainly before I came along or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, from a management perspective. So yeah, I run into, you know, like I said, white tails are definitely the mainstay, but there's, there's definitely, um, you know, uh, lots of different things to manage for. And, uh, you know, but certainly like I said, managing for white tails, it certainly benefits, you know, turkeys and grouse and, small mammals typically um you know certainly in, i know in food plots and such whether it's for me personally or sometimes a client they'll show me of you know you know and pictures of rabbits and grouse and um yeah so it's just it's really a lot of fun you know you never really know what's what's going to come waddling through um you know big old black bear uh, you know whatever the case may be they're always checking out this checking out the, the areas too but yeah so but um yeah primarily just white-tailed deer and grouse and turkeys and things for you know and then like i said unless i'm just managing a property just for them to view wildlife but those are kind of those are kind of the mainstays for me definitely so yeah so and then if someone wanted to reach out or to inquire of you know hiring your services and whatnot what you know i I look on your site and it looks like you you do just about everything um you know for that process where you do there's a consultation um Yep. What else would you, you know, say that you would, you know, typically offer? Yeah, to um, yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, sure. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I can do anything from, you know, coming out. Um, you definitely just kind of, you know, something I really love to do, especially um in the springtime. You know, right after the season, um, I'll get a call from someone and they just want, you know, basically, I, you know, what I work with the, you know, the, the landowners certainly or or the people that are leasing the property, and basically, however I can help them out, um. You know, I'm happy to come out and just kind of do a consult, walk the property, you know, point some things out that maybe they were missing or didn't see. Um, you know, I can do anything from stand placements to, you know, like I said, management setups where we I can write up, you know, 
review the property, go through it, write up a management plan with maps, you know, detailed maps and things that go from, you know, zero to six months, one to two years, five to ten years. You know, I have, um, you know, access and, and friends certainly that are in the logging industry and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, depending on what the property needs, you know, I can help steer those people in the direction that either they want to go or that I think that the property, you know, could benefit from long term or, you know, or even certainly short term. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, you know, whether it's, um, you know, somebody that just, you know, can't quite crack the code as far as maybe, you know, that, you know, they seem to just have lots of good bucks and deer on their property that can't quite get them in the, in the bull range. I'm happy to help, you know, you know, that type of clientele out from anybody who's got 2,000 acres and they, you know, want uh, a full management plan done. I mean, really, uh, you know, and certainly uh, with nice, certainly um, happy to help out. You know, a lot of guys will do consults, a lot of, um, and just consulting alone. What's nice about what I do is I do, I can do the consulting and certainly do the work to, you know, uh, the work on the ground to the boot work. So, um, so that's, uh, you know, something that might be a little unique with my business where a lot of guys will just do the consulting and, uh, and then just kind of let the people go. And that's fine too. A lot of guys will want to do the work themselves. So I'm happy, like I said, just to come in and give them some ideas or a management plan, um, and then let them, uh, you know, go on their way. And it's cool to get updates from them from time to time about how things are going or how things worked out. So, but yeah, basically, I mean, I, I work with landowners on, you know, their, you know, what they would like to see or what they would like to learn or know. And, um, you know, certainly, um, you know, budgets and def- definitely uh, are, are a factor. So, yeah, but I'm happy to work with people on basically any level um, in the outdoor scene of, uh, of management and, uh, and, and, and obviously in, in, following through with the management practices of of putting the you know management plan to use whether i do it or they do it so yeah so be happy to help people out in any capacity even if it's just a phone consult you know hey i got a question for you this is what's going on yada 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 but certainly it's nice to get out and see the property and and kind of put eyes on it so i can uh, really get an idea what's happening so yeah so and then if someone was wanting to reach out to you what would be the best way to to get a hold of you, you know, to yeah, talk about uh, email, that. email or, or phone call is great. Um, uh, my email is just my business name. It's, it's all lowercase, all bunched together, but just iron way outdoors. I R O N W A Y O U T D O O R S at gmail.com. Or, um, you can certainly call me direct, uh, two, three, one, nine, four, four, 4887. Yeah, I'd be happy to chat, uh, chat and talk with, yeah, like I said, anybody that uh, wants to. So, <laughs> and then oh, for okay. like, uh, what time of the year do you think that you know would be the yeah. best time for you know someone to reach out um, to really get a good yeah, idea, I mean, a good plan I, for them? Sure. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, certainly like late winter, early spring, uh, depending on the snowfall and things like that. That's that's a great time, um, or even you know, potentially even the first part of January. I mean, if we don't have a lot of snow on the ground and it's, you know, certainly the way that things have been going the last few years, it's been, seems like the snow has been coming later and later at times. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, right after the season is not a bad time at all, depending on the weather conditions or certainly, um, early spring, you know, March, March and April, um, May certainly gets, starts to get busy with planting and, 
and, and other aspects of my business that just kind of have uh, really increased the last couple of years. But, but yeah, so yeah, I'd say late, you know, like late, you know, right after the first of the year, early spring is probably the best. And, um, but yeah, so, and then, but certainly, uh, you know, don't, don't be afraid. I mean, if somebody is, you know, just run away behind the eight ball and they're, they're busy with their business and personal life, or whatever the case may be. I mean, I'm happy to even take a walk this time of year and, you know, you know, go through and, you know, help them out with a stand placement or whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, so don't feel afraid. Don't be afraid to call and, uh, and, and reach out. Cause I'm happy to help. So, yeah. Excellent. And yeah. And I'll make sure that in, you know, like in my show notes, and whatnot, I'll put your contact information. So if, you know, someone didn't write yeah. that information down, they'll have it available so they can look that up as well. Um, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. certainly. And then huh. I certainly can't let you go um, before we talk about <laughs> that you're running the yeah. Northwest Michigan branch for the, the NDA. Yeah. Um, and you've sure. been yep. you've been with, uh, well, you were with QDMA um, a good long while before that even. Um, yeah, you run yeah, the- yeah. Yep. Okay. Now, are there any you know, any upcoming events or anything like that that we need to know about? Um, yes, we have, uh, we actually, yeah, no, I'm glad you asked because, uh, yeah, we have a women's archery shoot that is taking place, um, at the Kingsley Sportsman's Club on August uh, 14th. Tentatively, we're, <laughs> we're hoping that the weather, um, we, we tried to schedule this earlier in the summer and we got rained out. So this is a, a reschedule from our, um, kind of obviously our original our original uh date um but yeah we're doing a a women's uh archery 3d archery event and it's just uh you know it's not it's not going to be super competitive we just want to you know usually you know certainly the guys have a lot of um typically a lot of events throughout the year we uh we're hoping just to kind of start a annual women's uh 3d archery shoot event at the Kingsley Sportsman's Club. It's a, uh, you know, cost you twenty five dollars to participate. We're going to provide lunch for you, and um, also an opportunity. We're going to give away some prizes. Um, just you know, basically anyone who's participates, um, and basically we'll kind of give you a, a ticket. And at the end, we're going to draw some winners for some 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 really nice prizes, stands, trail cameras, stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a great event. We're uh, happy to be working with the Kingsley Sportsman's Club on this and uh, hopefully we can you know certainly make it an annual event and well, we're looking forward to, to hosting that and um, hopefully we'll get I think we have about eight eight to ten gals signed up right now but hopefully we can get you know 15 to 20 uh, you know by the time the date hits and uh, but it should be really great hopefully the weather cooperates so <laughs> so yeah so all right and then if someone was interested in signing up for that um, where would they want to go yeah. to get get registered and whatnot? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you could you can definitely go. Um, um, you can go to our um, Facebook. Uh, go online to our Facebook page, um, the Northwest Michigan branch of the National Deer Association, and um, you can also go. I believe you can go directly to the uh, uh, NDA, the National uh, Deer Association, right online. And there, I believe, on our their homepage, there is a um, a link to it. Or you go to events, and you should be able to find a link to to it as well, and be able to sign up right there. And then we'll we'll have you in the system, and then obviously show up the day of, and bring your bow, and we'll have a we'll have a good time. 
So, yeah. So. Excellent. All right. And then, you know, in closing, is there anything that you think that, you know, that maybe I didn't bring up or that you think that we should cover, you know, outside or just, you know, cover anything that you think we might have missed or you want to make sure that we touched on? I guess, like, from a management perspective, try not to put all your eggs in one basket. You know, if you can, I mean, I I, uh, I know myself personally, I hunt a lot of, uh, uh, I've got some pretty nice private ground spots to hunt. But I probably spend about half my time still hunting uh, public ground. Um, you know, there's a rat, lot of great opportunities out there. Um, you know, don't try to um, put all your eggs in one basket and just hunt one property. Keep it, keep it fresh and diverse. It'll keep the you know the hunting pressure hopefully low. You know, certainly lower if you're mining your P's and Q's and you know you know worried about your entry and exits and, and wind direction and everything like that. But um, you know, try not to trying to put all your eggs in one basket from a hunting perspective um and or a management perspective really but um but yeah just try to try to be as um you know uh, just be real mindful of your hunting pressure and how you go about business out in the woods and uh i would that's definitely a big uh a big thing i try to stress to you know friends of mine clientele whatever the case may be people i'm just chatting with out and about so um, like I said, I, there's a lot of, we're really fortunate up here and, um, there's a lot of great public ground to hunt and a lot of great deer out there in the, in, you know, on those public grounds to, to have an opportunity to harvest. So, um, yeah, don't be afraid to, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, scout and check out a public land spot near where you live. Um, and, um, like I said, it'll just give you some more opportunities and, and give you hopefully different sites for different winds and so that way you're not just kind of locked in on your you know um 40 acre piece and you know not over hunting it hopefully so yeah just try to be really mindful of how much time you're spending especially late summer and into the fall you know i'm a firm believer that deer kind of uh are affected by you know like the buzz when guys certainly are uh, you know coming and going on properties more even if they're you know you know not that intrusive onto the interior of the property but just try to stay as low impact as you can as late summer early fall goes around i mean i know personally there's some properties that i get to hunt that i really hardly go on other than to put the cell cameras or trail cameras out in the fall or plant a food plot on. i mean my stand sites have been set up for a long time and i'm just kind of waiting hoping and waiting that the right deer comes along and that's what certainly the trail cameras will help kind of help confirm but and so yeah so just try to keep a keep a open mind as far as not trying to overhunt an area and uh not spend too much time in one spot or one area just try to, to mix it up and keep uh, help certainly i think make it more successful um as the fall goes on so yeah so no that's great those are some excellent closing words that you know since we focus yeah. so much on you know land management and whatnot the last thing you want to do is yeah overhunt it and you know ruin your own hunting even yeah, though you put yeah. in all that work and whatnot so excellent, I know. excellent I, words of advice for sure yeah. <laughs> yeah oh absolutely i have seen it and i've done it myself i mean i've i've made that mistake so it's uh yeah take it from me try to <laughs> try not to spend too much time after you get your management projects done just you know scout it and you know just uh, you know certainly do try to do some low impact sits and things if you can if you're not really sure where the deer are going to come and go from but yeah just 
um, you know, you know, you can certainly burn out an area pretty quick. You don't even realize it. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. Um, I've, hey, thanks. I've yeah. held you up yeah. quite a bit tonight, but yeah, I think you gave us tons of great information. Um, well, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on. And, uh, you know, I was looking up some of your other podcasts and some of the topics you had on them. I'm definitely going to check them out and, uh, I've got uh, some time now in the evenings here and there to to peruse and, you know, I'm definitely reading and trying to, just like everybody else, trying to soak up as much information, it seems like, before the fall hits every year. So try to get that edge. But, yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, I'll definitely um, uh, check out your guys' podcast and try to keep up with you guys as much as I can. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. All right. That was an excellent conversation I had with Andrew. Uh, he did bring up a lot of really good points. Again, selfishly, there was a, a, quite a few things that you know I felt really good. The fact that he, you know, some of the stuff that he was talking about, or some of his principles, are things that I've been prioritizing on my own property um, and the way I approach things. It was really nice to be able to have another perspective, still essentially lined up with what you know what my goals were and kind of what my plan for my property is. Um, There's a couple of things though that you know he did bring up that. He, he had really good points about that, you know, if you are starting in the land management, you know, it is very important that you go in with a plan. You know, you can get bombarded with so many different ideas of how to approach land management. You know, there's so many different techniques that there are out there that you can try. And it's really important to have, you know, basically for the long term. You know, you can get caught up in doing many different techniques of different food plot programs what Andrew you know talked about doing timber stand improvement where you can kind of get crazy overboard of just trying to do all these different things and they don't really mesh good for your property you know he brings up a great point that you know in that regard if you don't have you know a good direction you know certainly reaching out to someone like him um, that does this for a living that can help you create a plan that's going to work best for you, your goals, and your property. You know, certainly with him being, you know, a Northwood Michigan guy living and working in this area, he, you know, he's got firsthand knowledge of uh, the types of trains in the area. Like you said about the soil qualities and whatnot, here in Michigan, we've got some pretty bad soils for a good portion of the state, especially when you get close to those lake shores. Um, there's a lot of sand and whatnot. So he understands that those struggles and that you know how to address and change a plan to accommodate for those areas and i really loved his closing remarks about you know having put so many how much so much time and resources into uh improving a property that it's really hard not to essentially try to overhunt that or end up overhunting it uh, because you put so much time and effort and you want you want success so badly on that property but you do need to still uh, approach your property you know with good hunting practices where you're not over pressuring deer especially in this state you know deer will feel that presence you know very quickly and you could have you know the greatest food plot in the world and yet it becomes a nocturnal feeding you know location for your deer because uh, they know that it's not safe to come out in daylight so he does bring up an excellent point if you don't have multiple private land you know parcels to hunt then you know, certainly don't be afraid to, you know, wait on your property for the time is right for the right time of year or when you see the design or the intel is showing you that you it's time to move in down to your hunting property. And don't be afraid to, you know, a good bit of your time hunting that public land. One thing that I do 
as well just knowing that you know i can't overpressure my hunting area and you'll be surprised that you know by staying off the land and not overpressuring it and having those deer feel that, that hunting pressure um, that you'll realize that those deer are a lot more comfortable um, further into the year um, than if you you know go in heavy-handed you know as soon as the season opens so and again certainly if you are curious about wanting to know more again go to his website that i'll have down in the description notes he has you know a very very good uh breakdown of the services and uh, his prices for his services and it's almost unbelievable the pricing that he has how good it would be um you know it, it seems like a lot of these services that he would offer uh, are very would be a very small investment for what the benefit you would get out of it so so certainly if you're looking for any direction or guidance on um, for your properties give give andrew a call send him an email and again he will be more than happy to help you out with that 